And if be successful means a little yogurt land by yourself at night, I'm all right with that. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Dan, I had the privilege of having beers and tacos with our buddy Eric Van Holtz of Beard Brand the other night, and we started to talk about the topic of hiring and why it's so important to hire A players for your company. I think if you're sub 5 million, zero to 15 employees, every single one of your employees has to be an A player. Yep. There's absolutely no escaping this course in the tropical MBA. You need to pass this class if you're going to grow a successful business. This is going to be a level 301, 401 episode. It's for everybody out there who should be hiring or has hired, how to hire A players and how to purge B and C players. All right. So first, let's roll a phone call we got from Andres. Hey, guys. This is Andres from BoutiqueJapan.com, longtime listener and somehow my second time calling in the past couple of weeks. I wanted to find out about your guys' morning routines. I'm not sure if you've talked about that, but I know you travel a lot. And I'm just curious, do you have kind of a morning or daily routine that you adhere to while you travel or not really? We'd love to hear you guys chat about that. Football as well. Keep up the good work. Yeah, you know, Ian, you can't um, shake a stick at a podcast without people talking about, you know, which morning routines they're doing. And that was me meditating, by the way. I meditated this morning, you know, I didn't. Meditated, I wrote in my journal, I did all these things that everybody says you have to do to be successful these days. But you ain't making fun of Andres' question. No, no. I'm not making fun of his question. What I am saying, though, is that your morning routine should be specific to you. And I think there's, there's a lot of good ideas out there. We'll give you a little bit of an idea of what we think makes us successful, but we're not gurus. Don't listen to us on this stuff. Don't Just because Tim Ferriss writes in his journal, don't start writing in a journal. <laughs> Try it for a week. If it works for you, okay. If it doesn't, don't be upset. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful because you're not writing in a journal. I don't think people are getting upset about this stuff, boss man. I'm upset. I'm saying that the amount of time something's likely to exist in the future for you is probably equivalent to the amount of time it's existed in the past. So if you just started something fresh, it's likely that it won't stick around in your life very long. When I look at my morning routine, the one thing that's been there the longest is coffee. Coffee. <laughs> There's a lot of things you got to do in the morning that we won't talk about, but I think coffee for you definitely seems to be a good way to start your day. I like to start with a little bit of tea, a little bit of iPhone reading. Look, let me get to the 80-20 here. That's serious. I think you got to ask yourself, are you motivated to work on your stuff? when you wake up in the morning. You know, I could go on for hours about, you know, whether I'm creative or whether I answer my email. And honestly, like these are struggles that I have and I think about and change my routines. But the point is, and the critical element is, I care to think about them. I care to engage in them. And every morning, generally speaking, I go direct to work on my stuff. Do you remember, say, the first 25 years of your life when you hated waking up? Because that was pretty <laughs> much how I felt. Because I had to wake up and I had to do things that I didn't want to do. And I absolutely hated it. It's stunning in retrospect to think about how few decisions we used to make like this. Like outside of applying for a job and accepting it, at least for the first 18 years of your life, wherever your parents lived, for me, you know, it was defined what you were doing and where you were. And pretty much that 
continued to happen through university and my first couple jobs that I had. I think I was 26 years old before I started making a decision about what I did with the morning, which is crazy. And the cool thing about being an entrepreneur is that you can decide what you're going to do with your morning. And so, Ah. you know, we're talking about these ideas like, should I journal? Should I meditate? Whatever. The point for me is that I get to decide what I want to do in the morning. And I think the cool thing about that is I also don't wish my days away. Right. Do you remember wishing your days away? Do you remember? Like Thursday is the key day. If you go to anybody and you ask them how they feeling on a Thursday, you know whether they're an entrepreneur or an employee because an entrepreneur is going to say, oh my gosh, it's Thursday already. I can't believe the week went so fast. I still have so much I want to accomplish. An employee will say, freaking sweet. Tomorrow, Chili's has a happy hour starting at 4.30. (laughs) (laughs) So if you get to decide what you do in the morning, whether it's meditate or yoga or work on your email, whatever it is, just be grateful that you have arrived. You are able to make these decisions for yourself and that is because of the power of business and entrepreneurship. Let me add one caveat to this is that as an employee, especially for me coming from a blue collar background, there's this giant virtue of sucking it up. That's like lionized in the culture. It's like, hey, this guy went to work every day, no complaints for 40 years. Well, as an entrepreneur, that doesn't really work because your goal is to capture your best creative energy. Like, You need to be engaged and interested in the world and your work. So if you wake up every morning and like grit your teeth when you look at your email inbox or the tasks that you have laid out for yourself, that's a good litmus test that maybe you need to change your process a little bit in terms of what you're working on. And that brings us into what we're talking about today, Dan, which is high. So if you have some tasks on your plate that you're waking up to that you don't like to do, might be a good time to find somebody else to do that for you. All right, so you outlined the problem for us, Ian. We got to hire A players. Let's define them. Let's take a stab at why they're so important. I think first, let me try to define an A player and see what you think of it. In the software development industry, it's pretty common knowledge that a really great developer, so an A player, can be more than twice as effective as an average software developer. My experience is that the same thing is true in small businesses. And the reason that's so critical is that these people will insulate you from so many things. Like if you find yourself not insulated from the day-to-day of your business, you're probably working with a lot of B players. Yeah. If you feel like you're standing on a platform above your business, that's the feeling that I feel when I have a team full of A players. Yeah. One other thing that I think is worth thinking about is A players generally love to be challenged, criticized. Problem solvers. Problem solvers. They generally love and in some cases demand to work with other A players. You can sense that they get quite frustrated when they have to put up with B players, whereas a common B player reaction is to be threatened by A players. Yeah. Although it's not always the case. I mean, these aren't clear distinctions, but for me, it's the emotion of working on a B team versus an A team is the feeling of it's very different. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, A players are competitive by nature. They want to win. They want to see results. For us, I think the history of finding A players is interesting. So let's talk a little bit about how we find A players. It's not just you and Eric that have this problem. We can swing a stick in Austin and every entrepreneur is going to some crazy lengths to hire A players. Right. But it doesn't need to be that complex. It doesn't need to be that complex. But also, I think just as important as hiring A players is getting rid of B and C players and hopefully in the first place, not hiring those people. Really difficult though, I think, because what you're saying is you're trying to get yourself on a platform kind of looking down into your business. 
business and doing what only you can do, which is be the entrepreneur and have your team members working in the business. You said it's really helpful if all those people are A players. Well, who's responsible for making all those people A players? Are these people necessarily A players when they come into your business? I think sometimes we'll hire somebody that might have been a B player in a different position at a different job and turn them into A players. Sure. And sometimes it's the opposite. You could have an A player and you screw them up somehow yeah. because your business isn't the right fit. But the idea here is to get people working at an A player level in your business. All right. So let's talk about how to do that. Let's start with what we used to do with the product business because we definitely had a strong series of A players there. Yeah. And it wasn't like we were going on the podcast and announcing those job openings. Although that is, you know, we should talk about that. That is an opportunity, right? If you have a platform like this, it's becoming increasingly easy for us to hire A players because we have this microphone. Yes. So let me then just get that part out of the way since we do have some experience recently. I emailed a few days ago, the Tropical MBA producer ad closed. And did you take a look at the applications? Yeah. I mean, we had a bunch of applications and some of them very, very high level. People from global publishing, like serious stuff. <laughs> we don't even have the words, like like professionals. I don't know the word, like people that have no business applying. It's inspiring. It's also, I think, you know, it's a nice hat tip to independent media. Maybe these people worked in organizations that didn't let them show their A form. So here's why this is important, because this is a hack, right? We created this podcast six years ago. We're talking about our business and it attracts people. But here's the thing, like you don't have to go out and record 300 some odd episodes. I would recommend, why not create a 20 minute audio that's you and your top employee or you and your business partner, just you talking about why it's great to work in your environment for you. If you can communicate that passion about your business, that's going to mold your applicants and it's going to mold the way that they approach you. And I think that that's super valuable. So here's what everybody asks. They say, Ian, okay, great. We all agree that we should hire A players and everybody should be awesome and all this stuff. Where do you find these people? And I think your approach is the same as my approach, which is you figure out, because A players, are, I think, are outliers in most cases. Yeah. You figure out where the outliers hang out. And so they hang out listening to podcasts, for sure. The place where I found the most success, and people always look at me weird when I say this, but it's Craigslist. Okay. And the reason I'm having success on Craigslist this is because 95% of the people on there are crap, but 5% of the people on there are outliers. And when you go to places like Indeed and Monster and everything like that, there's a bunch of A players on there for sure, but it's harder to dig through them through the average people. Everybody probably that's hired has put an ad on Craigslist before. Yeah. So why are you so special? How do you get the A players out of there? I think it makes sense to try and figure out how to weed out all the B and C players by writing a job description that doesn't have to do with skills. Okay, it has to do with attitude. Go on, you've got my attention. What we do in these ads is we talk less about the skills that they need and more about the kind of attitudes that they should have and the kinds of goals that they want to accomplish. So do you say like you need to have a four-year college degree, for example? Absolutely not. We do not say that. Do you say that you need to have one year of operating QuickBooks? We do not say that. So what would you say? We describe the team and we describe the opportunity. So we say, look, this is a company that's doing $5 million, looking to get to 10. We need somebody that can help us get there. Is that you. Our team looks very much like you if you are 
crazy, outgoing, fun, all these adjectives. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like a door-to-door sales position. It absolutely is. So our job descriptions look like sales ads, straight up. They are not your typical job description. They are sales, right? I'm trying to attract this person to the company because I think really when you're hiring people, it's a two-way street. If they're good and they're A players, half the time during the interview, they're interviewing you. And that's how one of the ways that I identify an A player is if, hey, this person, they don't just want a job, they want the right job, right? And so when they come into the interview, like if they're like kind of looking at me suspicious, like, so this office is kind of small, it's kind of cramped, like what is it that you guys do here? Because if I'm gonna spend my best 40 hours a week with you here, like it better be something cool. And then- Do you qualify it at all during that job ad and say like, we work in a crappy office in San Diego or, you know, do you say stuff like don't expect big prestige and stuff like that? No, but I think that comes through when you're in the office, you know, in our office in San Diego. It wasn't huge, but it fit. Okay, so the first piece of advice is record yourself talking for 20 minutes. That's something we never did, but we should have done. You can't lose if you do that because they're going to hear your true voice, your true intentions. You're going to be able to get rid of all the door-to-door sales suspicions as well. Uh Number two, you write a job ad that sells the position on attitude and aptitude, not on the software knowledge that they need to have or on their degrees or whatever. Right, because smart people learn that stuff in like a matter of days. You're basically saying that people that wouldn't have otherwise applied start to apply then. Yeah. And you have a bigger pool. So you then go to the interview process. Let's talk about that. Because anybody can get a couple applications in. Now, when they come into the office, how do you know you got an A player? This is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And then by the time someone shows up in your office, if they're good enough, you know, I'll hire him for a little bit and see what happens. Yeah. How do we avoid that? The first thing, and this is just a quick tip for the resume. And I think this is important because a lot of our teams and a lot of these businesses that we're growing, they're very lean, you know, and they're bootstrap. So you have to figure out ways to hire top talent for as little money as possible. And so one of the things that I do when I ask them to apply, I say, send me your previous work history and previous salary. And I think that that's important because I see a lot of people screw this up and we've screwed this up in the past where we ask them for their salary requirement. And what a lot of people do that are looking for jobs is this is how they get raises. Sure. They say, I was making 50 grand and now I'm going to quit my job because I need to make 70 grand. And so they'll put on their salary requirement, 70 grand. You're hiring for a position that makes 50 grand. You're never going to talk to this person. So that's what I do. As I say, previous salary history, then I get a good idea of how much they've made in the past. Okay. So that's just a quick tip on the resumes. One other quick tip is to bury an Easter egg in your job ads. I recently did this at the Tropical MBA. Simply at the end of my job post, I put in the blank box at the bottom of the application, please write the word Bocadillo. Right. And it's interesting to see the percentage of people that had the eye for detail. Now, you don't have to disqualify anybody automatically, but I think thinking about an Easter egg that helps you to see people act, not just say stuff, right? Like that's the idea. It's like everybody can say like, I'm very hardworking and I pay attention to details. Well, do you? Did you put the word Bocadillo in the box? Yeah, I'd have to copy and paste that word. And that might be the next question on the applications. Did you copy and paste this (laughs) word? Be honest. While we're on this topic, and this is something we've done in the past too, is we've had them do examples of work they might be doing in this position. So I remember when we hired for a product designer in the past, we actually had them design a few things as part of the interview process before they even came in. Well, so as an example for the recent producer ad, as part of the application, they wrote an email soliciting an interview for this podcast. So it's like you get to see them 
behave. Is it a standard job hiring procedure that we remember from 15 years ago? Whatever you can do to just like get rid of the spread fire resume yes. thing is what we're looking to do. We want people to sort of put their hand up outside of that process and say, no, I'm uniquely interested in this position. I'm willing to work a little bit to get it. So let's talk then about clues in the interview clues in the interview that they're an a player that they have a potential and let's talk about deceptive clues because there are a lot of things that people will do that you start thinking well this person could be an a player this person could change everything and then they fall flat first part of the process for me is this is phone interviews okay so i line up somewhere between five and ten phone interviews and depending on who this person is going to be working for i will talk to them but not as important as me talking to them, the other team members will also talk to them. So I like to get everybody's opinion. So if we're hiring a new sales manager, I like to have the old sales manager on the call. I like to have the operations manager on their call. I like to have sometimes a customer service person. You know, I like to get a bunch of different opinions and then we all come together and we say, okay, these are the three people that we're going to bring into the office. Okay. From there, we bring them into the office. And this is where the real fun starts. So you're talking two or three people make it to the office interview. Right. Here's some the questions that we ask or here's some of the clues that we look for. So the first clue that I look for that they might be an A player. You might be an A player if they ask you questions. So like I said at the top of this episode, whenever I have somebody that starts to grill me, not just on like, so what would I be doing after lunch on a Friday, for example? What's your vacation policy? What is the healthcare situation here? Okay, not those kinds of questions. Those are disqualifiers. <laughs> that indicates B mentality towards jobs. It's an instant disqualification because they see it as a proper job. Like, I do what you tell me, and you give me health care. Right. That's not an A player. An A player is like, this is my life, right? Like, this is what I'm going to do eight hours a day. I can speak your language about those eight hours. Yeah. So they ask you questions. They ask you questions like, what is my potential in this company? How do I get myself to be the CEO? How do I crush it? How do I make double my salary? Whenever I hear questions like that, very interesting because I know that this person is very motivated. Sometimes they get a little scared too because I think, holy crap, like this opportunity might not be big enough for this person. But there's a pitfall here that a lot of, especially younger, very ambitious candidates, they show their B-ness by trying to be 2A. And here's how they do it. They really underline their personal ambition rather than understanding that all their personal ambitions will only be realized through the company. So the way you really underline your personal ambition is by asking about the balance sheet, by asking about the key clients and how you got them. And, you know, I love it when a candidate's like, what are you guys worried about right now? I know you're trying to get to 10 million bucks, but do you have competitors? How do you differentiate yourself from them? And are you going to be able to sustain that kind of advantage? Now, all of a sudden, we're talking like an A player. Not the, I'm willing to do anything, I'm willing to work all the time. It's like, all right, you know, like, okay. <laughs> this isn't football. This isn't a game of football. All right, here's another clue. They've done what you want them to do in the past. This isn't always the case, by the way. You know, our history is, this is not the case. In our history, they have shown ambition or they have done interesting things, but they haven't done exactly what we've wanted them to do in the future. Sure. Well, that can also be a pitfall is when, you know, you hire in that experience rather than the aptitude. Yeah. So I guess what I mean by that is like the process, like the way they approach their work. They can give you precise examples of projects that they led to completion, for example, and they can talk about how they personally did it. Here's the big problem is B players use jobs as a turning point in their life and A players use them as an inflection point. So you'll see a lot of times B players talking about their desires and A players talking about their track record. Mm -hmm. The track record thing can be tricky, right? You see this a lot 
spot when people will borrow the track record of the organization they were in. I worked for a team that had $100 million of that kind of track record rather than, hey, when I was on that team, I actually did, you know, it's more precise. Right, like we grew from five to 20 people in a year. It's like, well, and then you ask the hard question, what part did you have to do in that process? Well, <laughs> I was there. you know, like I was the CEO's like guy that got the coffee for him. So that kind of pumped them up in the morning. Right. Here's another example of what an A player will. They'll have a lot of examples of high personal output. So I'll just give a real example. I was looking through the job applications the other day and I said, hey, do you have any links to writing samples? Because this is a writing position. And some people, they would list in that box like excuses as to why they didn't have writing samples. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, eh, right. I'm not saying, did you build a nuclear submarine? I'm saying, do you write? <laughs> Have you written in the past? And that's, again, this is, do you want to use this position as a turning point? You know, like, look, all the love in the world, everybody starts somewhere. You really want to write more power to you, but you don't want to be the first instance in that person's life of them deciding to take this path. So you want to be that inflection point like, oh, you write a lot. Now, if you join my team, you're going to progress way faster. That's going to sustain itself because that person has a track record of doing that sort of work and they're going to get more value out of it. So what happens with the B players? They start to get exhausted. It's like, hey, man, I was never a writer. And now you're like on my back all the time about my grammar or about my output. Whereas the A player is going to think, oh, my gosh, I'm moving faster than I've ever moved before. Right. This is exciting. Now, speaking of exciting, let's talk about deception for a little bit (laughs) because we've all been fooled. We've all been fooled. And well, maybe we're fooling ourselves half of the time, but there are some things that can lead you to believe that someone's an A player that are often false flags. So here's the first one, hunger. It's really easy to be captivated by someone's desire for your job, right? Like, If they put a ton of effort into their application. They write you a nice follow-up email. They're really passionate about what you're doing. Just keep in mind that that doesn't represent their track record or what their regular behavior is. Right. It represents that they really need a freaking job because they got to pay their bills next month. For sure. And that's real and that's cool. But this can be the downside of that cool sales letter, right? Yeah. Is that people are going to see that and say, this is my chance, right? To change my life or whatever. And you just have to be wary. Like you don't want to be the life changing agent. You want to be the life accelerating agent. Exactly. Right. And that's what A players look for. Like you said, right? This is an accelerator for them. They see this as something that is natural in their path. Number two, charisma. Charisma, we all are attracted to people that are charismatic, but sometimes that's not an indicator of the work that they're going to be doing. So just because you can have a great conversation with them doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to spend that, we're talking hours and hours a day doing the work. So you have to dig past the charisma to look at what do they do with their time? I have definitely been burned by this one. And I think charisma is a complicated one because you're going to spend time with these people, right? You're going to spend like 40 to 60 hours with these people every week, maybe sometimes more than your family. And so you want to spend time with somebody that you like hanging out with. Here's a correlate to this one is hiring your friends. Yeah. It's like, hey, I like hanging out with this dude anyway. May as well have him in the business. She's my best friend. Right. Why don't I just bring her into the business? <laughs> no big deal. How about this? Success halo. This one, you know, people can be good at stuff. They can be winners, but they might not be a winner at what you need them to do. Maybe they were in a successful startup that exited. Like you said, like conflating the success of a business right. with your personal success. So anybody that's ever worked at Google, they're a freaking genius. They used to work at Google. Well, what did they do at Google? What, how did they contribute there? 
Yeah, I've been on the receiving end of this one. When I was started applying for small business jobs, the owners of the business, since I worked for a prestigious corporation, overvalued my experience in my view because I knew that I hadn't done anything at those jobs and that they were terrible. But they saw the name of the company. It was, at the time, the largest sporting goods company in the world. And they thought, this guy must know something. I see that. And I think there's no way. It's very hard to be a, a contributor in a company like that because it's so large. So let's talk then about some advice post the interview process. Here's the interesting thing. I think you go through all this and you're still trying to figure out if they're an A player. I mean, it's just not apparent. When I was talking to Eric the other night, one of the things that I said to him that was true, but it's scary, is that I think it takes somewhere between six and 12 months, somebody in your business to figure out if they're an A player. And so what you got to do is you got to have systems in place to kick them out if they're not an A player and to figure out as fast as possible if they are an A player. One of the first things that we do is a three-month probationary period. Yeah. And this is still part of the sales process, right? So basically what happens in this probationary period is like, look, we have an understanding that it may or may not work out for you and us. And I think we've been lucky because we've had corporations in California and now we're in Texas and Hong Kong, basically at will situation. So we can get rid of people. People can get rid of us. I think this is probably- It ain't Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a little bit difficult and different in different places. But here's how it works. We have an understanding that these are the deliverables. This is what we're trying to accomplish. We want you to get into this business and see what's going on. And if we all agree that you're the right person at the end of the 90 days, you have the job. Until then, it's undecided. And I think that this creates in a lot of ways for us in the past attraction because people are trying to get through this 90 days and really do their best. So what I think we've seen in the past is like, you got the job. Here's your coffee mug. Here's your monitor go at it. And they just kind of sit there in a slump or they sit there, you know, 5% more energized than they were in the last company. And so this is why this process is very important for us. Number two trick, figuring out how to get these B and C players out of your business. So let's just assume that this person got through the probationary period. You're still feeling like they're an A or a B player. You're not quite sure. Six to 12 months goes on. You find out they're a B or a C player. So you got tricks somewhere in your process that broke down. You didn't do things right. Let me underline something. We're talking about Bs and Cs. These are passing marks. Yeah. Ds and Fs are easy to deal with. Yes. It's the Bs and Cs that are really hard because it's not like they're bad employees. They're just not A's. And you know for the same price, you could have three, four times as much. And the question I think you have to ask yourself, and you might be okay with B and C players. I know a lot of entrepreneurs who are just fine with it. I think the point of this episode or one of the things that makes me think of is first off, you're responsible for that. Like you're ultimately responsible for that and that it will have a big impact on your bottom line. Huge. You're talking about a huge investment. And if it's just like you're paying this person a lot of money and they're just doing the work, that's so different than you're paying the person the money and then they're paying you back on it. That's what an A player does. A B player is going to take your money and do your work. Yeah. And that might be cool for you. And if it's not cool for you, you're going to have to fire people. Like that's kind of the trade-off, right? Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. It honestly sucks. I think you give everybody the chance to be an A player. Of course. So how does it work then that you know you mutually decide or you decide obviously that they're not going to be around any longer? So first and foremost, I think that you have to have a similar language. You have to have a way to talk about this with each other, you and your team members so that you can identify what success is. Like a clear set of goals. Right. A clear set
set of goals, basically. So I like to set goals. Basically, I say like, look, this is where we've been in the past. This is what we're trying to accomplish. I think that you can be a real part of this and get them to opt into that kind of success level. Sure. And I think it's important that you don't set the goals too high or too ambitious. They have to opt in at that point because if they're going to say openly, well, I don't want to do that, then I think you have grounds for a conversation like... This is our trajectory. Right. You basically give yourself an opportunity to get rid of them. But here's the most important part. You have it be in a way that they understand, right? So it's like, we didn't reach the goal. It's pretty clear we didn't reach the goal. You agreed that we were going to reach the goal. Now we didn't reach the goal. So we have to end this relationship. And so I think that that's what's really important is that everybody's kind of on the same page. Everybody sees the goal. Everybody agrees that they can get to the goal. And then when you don't get there, I've got an easy way to get rid of B and C players. And I think even A players sometimes fail at the goal. And I think even sometimes I fail at the goal that we put out. A lot of times. And that's okay. But what counts and what differentiates the A players and the B players is who they lay the blame on (laughs) and how they lay the blame, right? So the A player says, look, man, like it was totally unrealistic, but we went for it and we reached two thirds of our goal and here's how we were successful. And this is the next goal that I think we should try and approach. Yeah, I remember one of our players coming to us one time and saying, I experienced that goal process for three months and it was terrible. It was a poor conception. Sucked. And here's what I think we should do in the future, not just for me, but like we can't have our company operating that way. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you got yourself an A player. They're like, oh shit, now this person is thinking at a high level in our business. So in other words, you're elevating the conversation and seeing how they behave in that. Right, exactly. Here's the bottom line. I mean, you can have all the stuff you want, but at some point you have to be willing to have a difficult conversation. That's what it boils down to, right? At least half of that conversation is for you which you're laying out precisely what you want to achieve with the company, you know? And if that conversation gets difficult for you to have and isn't interesting having it with that person, then that's pretty clear indication that they shouldn't be along for that ride. Yeah. All right, Professor Bossman, I'm glad you dropped by to give a 401 lecture. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. It's going to be at tropicalmba.com slash A player. This is just the tip of the iceberg, man. I think this was like lectures one and two. I love talking about hiring and firing and strategy on how to get people inspired to work on your business and the kinds of positions that you as an entrepreneur should be taking on in your business. I think that's really exciting. So, you know, we got Carrie McKeegan to talk about this at DCBKK. Yes, we do. She is really good at this stuff. But when I'm talking to our boy, Eric, over at Beard Brain, and I'm talking to Ben over at Natural Stacks, I think, you know, these guys are very successful entrepreneurs, they're going to have very large companies, they're on their way. And these are the kinds of conversations that I see people at their level having constantly, it might be the most important conversation, which is basically, how do I get a players and the best people in my business so I can work on top of my business? I know what I like. I like rapping reviews. Ooh, it's been a while. What's your jam this week, boss man? Well, I've been listening to a lot of ASAP Rocky. This song combines one of my favorite rappers right now, ASAP Rocky, and one of my favorite rock and roll artists, Rod Stewart. Here it is, Every Day. Every day I spend my time Drinking wine, feeling fine Waiting here to find the sign Nate Bill says the value bombs never stop. Just when you think Dan and Ian are going to run out of good stuff, they blow it up by taking things to the next level. Without a doubt, the most valuable thing on iTunes, exponentially more detailed business info than a Harvard MBA. Take that, Harvard! 
Nate been listening to the show for years. He told me the other day when we were on a bike ride, just left an iTunes review the other day. So what does that tell me? It's never too late <laughs> to go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Appreciate it, Nate. Die Jr. left us a five-star review. Says they're addicted. I've been binging on this podcast for about three weeks. And I can't quit. Om Take, I recently decided to sail forth as a digital nomad, and the brilliant insights offered by Dan and Ian not only gave me specifics, but also a ton of courage. I've binged on 60 episodes in the past few weeks while running around selling and packing my stuff. Woohoo, there is no going back. People love this podcast like Boss Man Loves Yogurt Man. I love it. All right. Insider right now. I want to tell two insider stories. One is that I went to Yogurt Land the other night. All right. Hold up. I think we should just pause. All the sensible people should just go over to the Tim Ferriss podcast or Longform or get on to audible.com or whatever right now because ain't nothing good going to happen. <laughs> All right. What do you got? I went to Yogurt Land the other night by myself. You guys had left. You had gone out to dinner. Nobody taking the offer. This is what happens when you become an adult is that you don't care anymore. The other night, I ate noodles by myself in a crowded restaurant, not caring. And just the other night, I also ate yogurt lamb by myself. I just don't care, man. I'm focused. I'm being successful. And if being successful means a little yogurt land by yourself at night, I'm all right with that. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.